the show. Yeah. Hey, yeah, hey, hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Bible and Banter. We've got Eric and we've got Luke and we've got someone you don't know, but very soon you will. His name is Michael Cozy. He is my brother-in-law. That is my wife's sister's husband. And if you're wondering why he's on here, well, if you remember a couple episodes back, we were reflecting this podcast in the first place. And the very short answer is that the first time I ever sat down and talked with Eric, I had a really great time. And so we decided we were going to do this more regularly. And uh, Mike is another one of those guys that I have very much enjoyed talking to, especially about Bible and theology. Now, uh, as you're going to learn as the show goes on, Eric and I have some pretty significant points of disagreement with Mike. Uh, but that's the fun of the show is that we get to hash those things out. Now, Mike, do you see on the right side of the screen, um, there's a little tab that says comments? Yes. Um, make sure you have that open so that you can see our people as they're coming in. Hi, Carolyn. Welcome to the show. Uh, let's do this. Let's start this way. Mike, since most of the people on here don't know you, would you go ahead and give a quick personal introduction? Maybe tell us who you are, where you are. Uh, about your family, your line of work, the kinds of things you would tell someone the first time you met them? Well, let's see. Um, born and raised in the south suburbs of Chicago. Currently living in uh, uh, near Los Angeles, a community called Thousand Oaks, California. Um, you know, uh, happy husband, proud dad. I have eight kids. That always seems to be the main conversation starter. I hope you're not um, trying to be a Supreme Court justice. No, no, for sure not. <laughs> <laughs> for sure not. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, um, I own a solar company. Um, you know, I've, I've been uh, in my faith now since I was 25. So long time. Um, and, and. Uh, Mike's, Mike's not going to tell you specifically how long. Uh <laughs> Eric, now, this is where you can jump in because Eric uh, likes to prepare a little bit more than me, so he has this nice little list of questions that he likes to ask first-time guests, and I think that's going to help us get to know you a little bit. Eric, hop in. Yes. Yeah, so, well, first off, uh, this isn't part of the questions, but if you live in California, we just assume on the podcast that you are a communist. Is this is this accurate? No, absolutely not. In fact, um, quite the opposite. I'm... I'm yeah, I, I'm a stranger in a strange land, and, uh, <laughs> and it's it's tough. I mean, we we love this place. Um, you know, I I, I don't want to be offensive to some of your your audience if if they are of a liberal persuasion, but uh, you know, I hear a lot of people here want to leave the state because of the political condition that it's in. And I just find it to be too beautiful of a place and too too wonderful of a place to leave to mentally challenged people. Um, mm. and, and, uh, we were wondering, I was I'm wondering sure at what point me. someone on, on this particular episode, because both you and Eric are here, would say something that we would have to apologize later. And I'm glad that we got it right out of the way. So, yeah. So, um, look, there's, there's, there's good people on both sides of the aisle, but, but clearly we have some extremists in this state. So it is, it is them I speak of. Um, so what you're saying is you don't fully... You, you don't have full-throated support of communism, but you kind of like have a half-throated support of communism. No, no, not even a little. Mike, what, one thing you're going to have yeah, to get used to is Eric's primary form of communication is jabs and insults. 
and you'll just yeah. have to learn to roll with the punches. Hey, uh, I'm okay. I'm okay. It, uh, so, uh, sorry about that, Mike. I literally, I can, my, my first language is sarcasm. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, so- I, you know, I pre- prep for a theological discussion. If we want to go political, we can, we can, we want to get theological at some point. No, I this is pretty strong, uh, uh, leanings. Um, no, well, we're, we'll bring, we'll bring you back on another day. Maybe, maybe to talk about politics. I, as do we. In fact, Luke, uh, we recorded a bonus episode right before this talking about the Supreme Court hearing of um, Amy Coney Barrett. And uh, and that was pretty political. Um, I probably alienated at least 40% of the population. <laughs> um, well, these days, it seems it's a 50-50 split, right? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's the extremes. Um, we've been divided. We've been put into these camps. Um, and, it, and it's a shame, right? Because I don't think... Um, I think most people have the same basic, you know, inherent idea of how to live a good life and raise a, raise a family and, and be productive in society. But um, it seems like our media and especially our social media have sought to find ways um, to cause disagreement. So, um, so yeah, so a couple of weeks ago we had um, a friend of mine on who is a psychologist and it was at that time I decided that we were going to start every uh, podcast or every episode that we have a guest on and ask them the same questions. But then I assessed the questions and said, they weren't that great. Let's make them better. So instead of three questions, we have six. And the reason we only have six is that's all that would fit on my post-it note. So I'm really, I'm really excited for our next guest. When you ask nine questions, eventually the show is just going to devolve. Into you <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 and I got this idea from the Babylon B podcast, which is one of my favorites. And they ask the same 10 questions to every single guest they have. And it's hilarious. So here are six questions with a mix of serious and well, really they're just not serious. So the first question is, um, now, do you remember MySpace? Like, Mike, I don't know how old you are, but you got some gray hair on the sides. I'm going to assume you're probably in your late 30s, early 40s. You're my new best friend. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now, based on that, I'm going to say you're late 40s. I came home yesterday to uh, the very top thing, and I think it was by design, um, but the very top thing on the stack of mail when I got home yesterday was my uh my letter from arp oh my goodness uh asking uh yeah offering wait, to me- wait so so wait you are the husband of Lindsay's sister yes and Lindsay's sister is 16 years older than Lindsay. <laughs> okay and how much older are you than Lindsay's sister eric you you have no sense of decorum. We're not asking our guests how <laughs> This old wasn't he is. the first question, by the way. The first I'm gonna ask you a question about MySpace. This is why your age is is relevant, is because I'm gonna ask a question about MySpace. So yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with MySpace. Okay, so if you remember <clears throat> no, so actually you uh you can't. I looked into it. If you could like reactivate your MySpace account and you cannot like recover your page, which is a good thing for all of us, I think. But um, if you remember, for those who are unfamiliar at MySpace, which is far superior to Facebook, um, MySpace, first, you get a friend right off the bat, right? You get Tom, which is great. But you could rate your friends. Like you could have like your top five, top 10 friends, which was always great. But you could also have a song playing in the background as someone visited your page. My question to you, 
Mike, is what song would be playing today in the background if you had a MySpace page? Oh, probably my newest release. So I write music. You can see by behind me here. I have a full studio. I, I do music as well. So oh, okay. It, it would be one of my own things. Yeah. Okay. Whew. All right. So uh, question two, um, what is your favorite movie and why is it God's not dead? I don't, I don't watch movies too much. I mean, I, I guess hearkening and, and let's, let's keep my age centrally focused here. Uh, going back to growing up in, in the South side of Chicago, I love the blues brothers. And, oh, okay, yeah. You know, you know, as far as why is it God's not dead? You know, they were on a mission from God, so it's equally, equally uplifting to my soul to watch the brothers. <laughs> the correct answer was it's not the best movie ever. <laughs> um, and Lindsay, I don't know if Lindsay's trying to say that it would be a Rush song. Um, and although yeah, I'm, yeah, although I'm a fan of prog rock. I also hate it when you ask someone for their favorite song and they give you the answer, which is a band. I I know what Lindsay was trying to do was to recommend or, or, or to name a band. I'm also going to go with the second meaning of her word, which is to not take two minutes to ask every single one of these questions. Okay. Sorry. Um, you can only choose one. You can only choose one for the rest of your life from here on out. The Office or Parks and, Parks and Recreation? I've never seen Parks and Rec, so I'll have to go with The Office. Lame. I'm with you on The Office, but you don't watch TV Parks TV. and Rec, man. I don't watch okay. movies and TVs. You're, you're a productive member of society. I'm sorry. Um, what is your favorite or preferred Bible translation? Oh, boy. Well, I use the New King James. Um, I, as will probably be uncovered shortly here in our conversation, I hearken back to the original language no matter what translation i'm in um to find out what word should have been applied so you so you read greek and hebrew i i will go to those translations and look up the definitions but i couldn't i couldn't read it as a language but you there's tools where you can go and see what the yeah. what the original word was and what the translations um, most likely should be okay new king james all right uh what's worse the first or third star wars trilogy <laughs> What's worse? Yeah. It's not a question of which is best because they both stink. So which one's worse? The first or third Star Wars trilogy. And by first, he means in the chronological order, not not yeah. as in the first one released. So he's talking right. episodes one through three and then seven through nine. Yeah. Yeah. Whichever one had Jar Jar Banks is worse. Okay, that's fair. I'll buy that for a dollar. Um, last question. Okay, now this is the most important one. All right, do you believe in aliens, Bigfoot, the Loch Ness monster, and or ghosts? You know what's funny is I would love to believe in those things because they sound super fun. <laughs> uh, I just haven't seen. Uh, I, None of them are relevant to me until I think I encounter one, if they are for real. So I, I, I it's not something I do wrong. They might be. I don't know. I don't think so. But they could be. What's most likely? Aliens, Bigfoot, Nessie, or ghosts? 
Who designed these questions? I did. <laughs> They're wonderful questions. <laughs> I told Eric before the show that he could. I didn't need to see the questions; that he could just surprise me. I, yeah, next yeah. time, I want to see the questions. Um, Mike, we appreciate the reality that is the the aliens would have dropped off Bigfoot to spy on us. Uh, <laughs> I like that. And then you know, uh, Mike, we appreciate we appreciate you putting up with our nonsense. Part of the charm of our show is that there is always a little bit of silliness. Uh, uh, Inter certainly at the beginning, but uh, interspersed throughout, as you'll find. But here we are going to turn to the subject of the day. And I think the first thing we need to get out of the way, Mike, is to give you an opportunity to explain um, as, as simply as you can what you consider yourself. Because I will tell the viewers, <laughs> in family conversations, uh, when uh, Mike and his family took the religious turn that you did, there was tremendous confusion over what it was that they actually were or believed. Uh, many, many of the family members took to calling them Messianic Jews, which I think uh, Mike would offhand reject as a proper label. I sure. call them Torah observing Christians, but I'd like you to give yourself your own label and explain what it means. Well, I think I gave you that phrase, we're Torah observing Christians, because yeah, that's, that's exactly it, right? Um, Christians in the true sense of, of saved by grace and faith alone, uh, Torah observant, and then that is that is our response mm. to that to that grace. And so, hold, hold on, hold, hold okay. on. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you I'm gonna let you um, come at him in a little bit. There is just a little bit more groundwork I want to lay. Just give me a, a couple more questions. Um, let me ask you this next, Mike. Do you attend a church? We have a home church. Okay. Can you describe what your church meetings are like? Sure. Uh, we, we do house to house. And uh, for example, when we're hosting, um, you know, there can be, get, you know, folks will arrive. Uh, we'll, we'll maybe have some music, whether it's played um, live or, or, you know, recorded, pre-recorded. Uh, so we'll do some music, do some praise. Uh, we'll do some prayer. We'll do some study time in the word, um, followed by usually some more prayer and then uh, share a meal. Okay. And then one more softball before I release the hounds on you. Yeah. Um, can, you, can you tell us, and this is where obviously we do have limited time, but I want you to be able to give a fuller answer. Um, can you tell us how you arrived in this particular place of belief? Because... Um, as those watching the show probably don't know, you started your faith journey with Christ in a church that looked a lot like the ones that Eric and I pastor today, um, that taught very similarly to the way that Eric and I teach. And so obviously you could probably spend an hour or, or more explaining, but uh, just sort of as, as simply as you can, but also giving us a, as complete a picture as you can. Can you tell us how you ended up in this particular type of Christianity, sure, I'll. I'll <laughs> you're right. It could, this that could be an hour long conversation. Um, so I'll try and keep it uh, relatively short. The uh, and the truth of what you just said is, we were in the Advent Christian Church uh, for some quite some time. Um, so we're very familiar with that denomination. But um, when I first got saved. Like I said, I was, when I was 25 years old, many, many, many moons ago, um, 
at 25 years old, prior to that, I had been exposed to and believed most anything, right? Um, had a lot of different viewpoints and attitudes and, and, and thoughts and beliefs that never really, you know, I was not a religious person. However, at, at 25, when it, when it really came to me, uh, one of the, the questions I, I had internally was, how could I have missed this for so long? How this truth just seems so, you know, mind-blowing. How, how could I have missed this? And so one of the things I did was I started to really dig into apologetics. I wanted to know, what were these things that I believed prior Um why did I believe those things? You know, what I wanted to ask the hard questions because I did not want to be fooled again. I did mm -hmm. not want to be, I didn't want to think I was believing something that it was just a feel good in the moment, right? Because when you first get saved, there's that all elation and this revelation and, and all that. But I, I really wanted to challenge my own faith and just start asking the hard questions of, okay, well then why this, why that, why that? And so the, the long story short of it is that never changed in me. I questioned everything. And still to this day, I question everything. And I want to know the, the, the answers, the whys, you know, the, the hows. Um, and so going through, you know, walking through our, the faith, you know, it was probably 20 years of, of walking in one kind of denomination, you know, the, the, the Advent Christian, uh, the Protestant type of a denomination. Um, you know, it was, it was 20 years in that before thinking there's, there's something missing. I'm missing something. And, and there's questions I had that couldn't be answered. And so we started seeking and, and I'm not saying I, I found all the answers. Hey, got them all. Um, but I've certainly found things that have changed and shaped um, not my core belief, but how, how I, how I respond to that belief. Good. All right, Eric, he's all yours. Go for it. No, I think that's really cool, man. I didn't even know you looked didn't tell me that you were part of an Advent Christian church before. That's pretty cool. Um, I was curious as I was thinking about like, what, it, I'm curious as to what a, what does it mean to be a Torah, Torah? following or torah believing i guess we all believe in the torah right um i think he said torah observing Torah observing that's it so mm -hmm. what what does that mean and why has no one introduced you to the book of galatians <laughs> <laughs> so so it I'll, I'll, one at a time yeah yeah go <laughs> with the first one first it's okay Forget something else Eric does is he asks three questions instead of one yeah, i mean i'm kidding time. about i'm kidding about i'm just you know just give you a hard time but for sure, for um, sure. i am interested in one what it looks like and two like how do you process um the book of galatians in in light of in light of that so sure sure um what it means to be torn is to believe that the entire word of god it's still true today and applicable in our lives. Like nothing's changed. And so all the commandments that were given to Israel are still applicable. Meaning, to, so including the food laws. Sure. The, the, okay. Okay. So no, no shellfish. Right. No, right. 
no mixed fabric clothing. I think this is I think this is where Mike, it would be helpful for you to um, a bit more specifically uh, give Eric and our audience because I I obviously already know because I've had the chance to ask you. Um, obviously, you I shouldn't say obviously for those who are wondering, uh, Mike doesn't sacrifice animals ritually. So um, what elements of the law do you continue to practice as a, and what elements uh, for reasons we'll we'll discuss um, sure. do you not perform every day? You know, and it's really funny because um, usually when those those type of comments come come to us like, oh, so you sacrifice goats and you you know, you stone your children. Well, yes, of course we do. <laughs> Goats are delicious. <laughs> <laughs> but no, truthfully, we do not. We do not do those things, right? And and again, to somebody, it's funny because Romans uh, 7, I believe, is where he starts talking about, um, it starts with, or do, do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, right? So he's... His audience, the ones he's he's trying to make a case to, are the ones that actually know the law. And so most of the time when people come at us with, you know, do you sacrifice goats? Do you stone your children? Um, you know, all this, this all this stuff. They're very they're not very knowledgeable of what the law actually says regarding those things. So there is no provision in the Torah for a parent to stone their children, believe it or not. Um there's, there's a process in there if you were to take them to what would be our modern-day court of law, right? And if the law, if they were convicted by breaking the law and the punishment for said law was stoning, as it were back in the day, right? Then that would that's, that's how that would flow. In other words, it follows the civil law, you know? And it even happens today. People sue children or parents, you know, there's all kinds of civil lawsuits, right? That, and it's, it's no different, right? So there's, there's no provision for a parent to take their kid out in the yard and stone them. Right. Um, now you've mentioned, you've mentioned some of the elements of, of the law, if, um, as, as you argue, improperly understood, um, you, you don't follow, obviously you would say that you do follow it. You just rightly understand it. But could you tell our audience some of the the Old Testament laws, um, at least as as they know and understand them, that you do um, sort of follow daily that would be unusual in Western America? Um, I mean, dietary is the biggest thing. People love their bacon, right? And I'm yes, here to say, do. I'm here to say, I've grown to really appreciate turkey bacon. I think it's great. <laughs> um, well, we're done having this heretic on the show. Um, it's been a fun episode. Yeah, so I, uh, you know, that it's funny that that is such a that reaction that it solicits is so so true because think about that. That's that's what our flesh desires, right? That smell, that taste. That's that's so fleshly to say. How could you give up bacon? Right. Um, For the record, I don't think either Eric or I would say that eating bacon is a requirement of Protestant faith for what it's worth. Um, it's that's somewhat true, but I think it's wholeheartedly true. But I think the difference is like, to me, I hear that and go, if you're observing, if you're observing um, 
and again, I don't know if observing is the right thing, right? The right word, because I would say I observe the Old Testament as well, as I think most of our audience would, unless you're dispensationalist and you're pretty much Marcion, but um, or or Andy Stanleyite. But uh, you know, for someone who who believes in covenant theology, um, we look at the Old Testament and say there is imminent value there. Um, it instructs us, it informs us, and we observe it. But we would also say that we rightly understand it as a new covenant people. So to me, when I hear can't have bacon, I don't go, ooh, can't do that because I love bacon. Um, Because if you if you argued from the scriptures in a way that I can understand and can can agree with theologically, then I go. Ah, bacon's not a not a, really a big sacrifice in following the Lord. I mean, if the Lord commands me not to eat bacon. Guess what? I'm not eating bacon. Now, I want I want us to continue in this vein of thought, but before we do, Mike, one thing you'll learn very quickly about our comment section is it is active. So, a couple yeah. of questions from from the uh, uh, peanut gallery. Why don't we start with Mike Alex's question about the uh, Old Testament civil law? Uh, should we observe the penalties prescribed in the Old Testament? under under your understanding i i don't know if i fully understand the question um it's a hypothetical saying if our government followed old testament civil law would we be bound by that well let let me let me let me rephrase the question do you do you think that our civil government should ideally should be following observing the old testament prescriptions of justice I mean, I think if, yeah, if we were all still observant to God's laws as given, I think we would be a much better off society. Okay. So one of the things that's important to know about, um, about the laws given to Moses is that, um, you know, it says in the scriptures that, that these things that I'm telling you, they're not so high that someone has to say, do I have to go into heaven? to get these commands and to understand them and to, to adhere to them, or are they so low that I have to go to the depths of the ocean? Mm-hmm. I think people want to um, assume those who don't understand the Torah or know the Torah, that it's this really difficult, extreme stuff. And it's not, I think that um, I think people think that the Torah observance means like you walk around and you see somebody out of step and you need to drag them to the city gates and stone them to death. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's the picture that I think people come up with. And and it is, it's just not there. Hmm. That's not how it operates. I, th- I think the next uh, question from the comments that would be worth addressing, because I know you and I have discussed this before. Um, what about Peter's vision in Acts chapter 10? It's especially relevant to the discussion of bacon. <laughs> it is, <laughs> and I think... Um, one of the things that we can do here is end up getting into the weeds of well, what about this one? What about this one? We can do, and that can last entirely all day. And what we'll miss in doing that is the premise of why. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll, I'll answer that. It's, it's Peter's vision. He explained it not only once, but he explained it twice that it had nothing to do with food. His vision had to do with calling people clean or unclean based on their heritage. So the non-Jews were considered unclean. You don't eat with them. You don't go into their house. You don't have supper with them. And, and that was the, the Jewish sentiment. Mm-hmm. 
And in fact, when it does come to the point of argument and, and um, you know, the, the conflict that was being had, the Jews were very harsh with Peter saying, you went and ate with Gentiles, right? And that's when he says, no, 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 I had this vision and the vision told me that the Gentiles are a clean people. We cannot be calling what God is called clean, unclean. And that is completely in the reference to people. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I would go so far as to say Peter's vision is actually proof that post-Messiah, after the resurrection, after all his understanding of grace and everything, he is still adhering to the laws. He is still adhering to, to eating clean foods. Because when that blanket first comes down, he says, no, I've never let my lips touch anything unclean. So here we have one of the main disciples is still practicing his observance to the Torah with complete understanding that this is not something I want to do. And then it shifts from God tells him this through the spirit. This is about people. In fact, someone's going to come to your door and I want you to go with them where they go. Doesn't that, um, I'm curious because the way, you know, that I understand that is that, uh, so I wholeheartedly agree that, you know, what the vision is about. But when you look at like the reason the Jews um, looked at themselves as being clean is because they adhered to the law of Moses and what had been handed down. So to see the to see that Gentiles are now made clean as well, it's not on account of their adhering to the law, but having been saved by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. So it's God who's made them clean, not by their outward action but God's action towards uh -huh. them. Um, so I don't know if that, you know, so. But you're correct. That, yeah. that is absolutely correct, right? There's, there's Gentiles are, are, are made clean, if you will, not by adherence to the Torah. Mm -hmm. Grace is by faith alone and the free gift that he's given through his Christ who died for us and yeah. saved us from the, the penalty of, of sin, which is right. death, right? That that's not something we earn. I don't believe that that's something I have to go out and earn, right? Could I, um, Mike, if you don't mind, I'm going to interject something here, not to speak for you, but because I have had this discussion with you in longer form, and I feel like I can I can um, <clears throat> highlight a point of agreement um, before we get back down into the weeds of where we disagree again, which is simply this. The difference between, and I, I know Eric's theology pretty well, and I feel like I, I'm, I know Mike's theology fairly well, though I've had fewer conversations with him, I'll admit. Um, <clears throat> the, the point of, the primary point of disagreement here is not about justification. It's about um, sanctification or about response to the gospel. So, um our conversation with Mike would be very different if we were sitting sitting across, uh, you know, I shouldn't say sitting across from because you're literally across the country. If we had someone on the show who said, I'm a Torah observing Christian who believes that salvation comes by observation of, of Torah law, that would be a very different conversation. What we're actually doing is in a, we're sitting across from someone who says salvation is a gift of God by grace through faith. And what we disagree about is the way that we live out the gift that God has given us, the way that we practice that faith. 
And so I, I still want us to be able to have all these discussions and get into these weeds. But I think that is an important point to make is that the point where we diverge is when we start talking about what it means to live like a Christian, not what it means to become a Christian. Um, and that's an important point of agreement. That doesn't that doesn't mean that we shouldn't discuss these other things, which I think are very important and should we should speak about them openly. But that is a key point of agreement, uh, a, po a point of commonality that we can stand as we're having these vigorous discussions about, about these other very important matters. Um, I, I'm curious as to how things work out practically for you, Mike. Like, so, so most of, most of our people, I think agree, like, yeah, we, we follow what the old Testament teaches. We write it as the way that we understand it. And we might have some differences there, but how does that work out practically? So you don't eat bacon. Um, to me, that's not a big deal. Right. Um, and, and it's a lot easier to have this conversation when we're not talking about justification, but how we live out the Christian faith, sure. which I appreciate. I appreciate that greatly. So tell me, like, how does your life as a Christian look differently than, say, my own or or Luke's? Because you probably know Luke. Um, you know how he lives out his faith sure. more than you my own. He certainly so, knows that I have eaten bacon. He's aware <laughs> of that. Yes, indeed. So, all right. So practically speaking you know, observing the Torah or being Torah observant. Uh, it means living a life of keeping his weekly Sabbath, his appointed times, which are the, the seven feasts, the Passover, the 11 bread, Shavuot, Yom Torah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot, and eating biblically clean foods, um, wearing the Zit seats. That's So I wear the tassels, right? Um, and I get comments on those all the time. Wait, um, you wear tassels like all the time? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can I see? <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever seen this. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen this before. Um, just, just little tassels. Nothing, nothing fancy. Okay. And in fact, my shirt usually covers them up most of the time. It's not to be an outward sign of look at me, but something inward that says, "Hey, I." Um, it's just a reminder that I am a Torah observant person. Um, so, and one of the things that's important is I guard that the traditions of men do not replace God's commandments. Mm -hmm. um, that most of Paul's arguments and certainly uh, Jesus' issue with the Pharisees was exactly over that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's where some of the confusion then lies in is, is where the argument over um, traditional things versus what God actually commanded was where there was a real issue. In fact, someone brought up in the comments, Mark seven. Um, so the, where it says he declared all foods clean, there's two things important about that. Number one, um, that piece of scripture is actually separate from Jesus words. It's commentary. It was added in. Um, so that's the importance of going back to the original writings and finding out what the actual well, well, hold, hold, pause for a minute here. We got a real, we got a real important question here about your understanding of scriptural inspiration, especially in the new Testament. Would you say that because that are, those are the words of the author of Mark and not the words of Jesus, that they don't carry the same authority. I would. Yes, indeed. Um, or at least, or at least the same understanding. So remember in Mark seven, <clears throat> that discussion that's taking place has nothing to do with the food. It had to do with the ceremonial washing of hands. 
the Jews were not, the Pharisees were not attacking the, the disciples over what they were eating. They were attacking them over the fact that they had not done the ceremonial washing of hands prior to eating the food and calling them unclean because of it. And so Jesus' response was directly to that saying, look, you guys make all this other craziness that doesn't belong. It's not from the Torah. You put all these rules of men. In fact, it's a direct quote where he says, you actually forsake the law of God and impose the laws of men. That's his issue. And, and, and so when he says it's not, you know, because you don't do these things, it makes you unclean. That has nothing to do with it. So the argument was not over what they were eating, right? It has to do with how they were eating it. And even if you were to take it at face value and say, okay, fine, he declares all foods clean based on how you eat it, it doesn't, he didn't declare all things food. Huge difference. I want to yeah. let Eric press you a little bit on your understanding of scripture because I can see the glow in his eyes. <laughs> uh well uh, it is you know some of the questions that i kind of have they're they're just phrased a little bit differently or coming up in the comments but you know i i find it i find it interesting um that you have it seems as though and again i want to articulate this in a way that i want to make sure i'm representing you correctly and i understand you rightly but my understanding of how you understand this is that you can trust the words that are quotes about Jesus. So you trust the author Mark in what he says Jesus said, but you have less confidence in what he says about what Jesus meant by it. No, I just think we need to use it in proper its proper context, right? Um, you know, he was he was he was emphasizing the point of the argument which was that it's not the food that they're eating that was the issue, right? It was following the religious doctrines of the Pharisees mm -hmm. that was at issue. It was the traditions of men. Let me, let me put the question, I think, a bit more pointedly. And then what I want to do, Mike, so that we don't spend the whole time, as you said, um, fighting down in the weeds. After uh, I give you a chance to answer this question, I think we're going to scale back for a few minutes and talk about another place of commonality before we put your feet to the fire again. Um, let me, but let me ask you just like a bit more directly looking at the old Testament. Um, and even specifically, let's, let's, <clears throat> let's say the, the book of Exodus, mm -hmm. we have the law given directly by God to Moses. And, um, we have remarks about, uh, those those interactions between God and Moses within the book of Exodus. So you have the words that are given directly by God, and then we have we we have the rest of the book of Exodus, which I, I assume that you think it was written by Moses, as that tends to be the um, the traditional understanding. Is it is it your view that every single word of that book is the word of God, or is it only the laws that are the word of God, and then all the other commentary within the book of Exodus is should be viewed differently? Or is it all equal in authority in your mind? I, I think it's all equal in authority. I think it is all inspired. I do agree with your, your commenters about, about that. Um, 
Well, well, hold on. Before well, before you elaborate, would you say the same about the New Testament? That it's is it just the words that are directly from Jesus that have that unique authority, or is it every word written in the New Testament that has the same authority that you would ascribe to the Old Testament words? Well, let's let's look at that. We we have the the common scripture of um, you know that that all scripture is is given for reproof and correction and is is God inspired all that right. Mm-hmm. When that was written, what scripture existed? What was he referencing? The Old Testament. 100%, right? So mm-hmm. that was what they had. So I do agree in the inspiration of the New Testament. However, it can't deviate from the old. They have to be one. They have to be, you know, the, the, the oneness of, of God is so important, right? And his word is, is just the same. His word is not going to be, he speaks about, you know, a, 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 you know, divided, an entity cannot stand, right? It's going to fall. The word is the same. It is one word, right? So when I, when I'm, if we want to talk about an interpretation of a New Testament scripture, to me, it can't go against something that's already been established, Right. All right, we're 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 gonna come we're gonna come back to this, Eric, because I think this this issue. Of, every time we're every time we're getting on to something, you keep moving on to something else. No, no, we're not we're not moving on. We're gonna come back. We're gonna come back to this interpretive paradigm because I really do think it's at the core of what we're talking about here. But and it's I very I, it's very important. I mean, I agree. I, yeah. I I I agree, and we're gonna spend some time here. Before we do, I want to um, give Mike a chance to and Eric. I think you'll have a comment here as well. Um, because I do want to come back to this interpretive paradigm. I think it's probably the linchpin of our disagreement. Before we do that, though, I want to make sure there's some other things I want to make sure we get to so we don't spend the whole time um, uh, uh, disagreeing with each other. One thing that Mike has said to me before, which I very much appreciate is, and I don't, I don't, I think, Eric, because you largely, not maybe completely, but largely have been a uh, influenced by reformed teachers, you have not had as much opportunity to observe the phenomenon that I'm about to mention, which is that, um, and I think this is something that Mike experienced quite a bit in his early Christian life. Much of the Western, or, or at least the American Protestant church, um, gives lip service to the Old Testament, but they don't actually study it. Um, and there's a huge gap uh, in, I think, many American churches when it comes to their understanding and study of the Old Testament. Uh, you mentioned, Eric, the the Andy Stanleyites, which are basically the modern Marcionites. And you, I don't know if you'd use language that strong, but I will. Uh, and one thing that both of you actually have done for me in the time that I've that I've uh, known you, both of you, is you've really inspired me to uh, dig into my Old Testament because I very much, and I'm not, I'm not condemning um, my teachers growing up. Uh, they, they believed in the inspiration of the Old Testament. But if you actually look at the content of my spiritual formation, um, uh, I w- was raised a New Testament Christian uh, as opposed to a Bible Christian. And so I wanted to give each of you, before we come back to this interpretive methodology, which is going to be very important to discuss today, I wanted to give both of you just a chance to talk about 
um, the importance of the Old Testament and why the idea of the New Testament Christian is fallacious. So who starts? Whoever. We'll, we'll let you go first, Mike. You're the guest. Um, Age before beauty. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Um, so, yeah, that's that's one of the things that I talked about at the beginning of, of what drove me to where I'm at is, is having all these questions about things that were not that were not good answers for. In fact, every single thing um, that your commenters are bringing up, and it's it's not to their fault, but it's all New Testament. Well, what about what Peter said or what Paul said or, you know, the 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 Council of Jerusalem in, in Acts 15, all these things, right? But unless you have a full understanding of the backdrop of what those people are referencing and what they're talking about um, and what their their belief system even was, right? It can be so easily moved into these different ideas and interpretations that that are are sometimes far from, if not even opposite, what the writers of the New Testament were actually trying to convey. Eric, so, so talk, I, a bit, talk a bit I, about Old Old Testament, and then we're gonna we're gonna start interrogating Mike again. Yeah, well, Mike's one hundred percent right on the importance of of understanding and appreciating and studying the the Old Testament. Um, I I, I want to give Mike people don't go off in the comments on on Mike on this one because he doesn't know who many of you are. But um, the guys who are who are saying like, hey, think about Jerusalem Council and all this. Um, they have more degrees on their wall than than I have letters in my name um, on Bible <laughs> and stuff like that. So, and I don't mean that I'm not like trying to make an argument from authority or anything like that. But um, that trust me, these guys do know what they're talking. So they would make the same argument with the backdrop of the Old Testament and what's going on in the first century in response to all that. Uh, there's only just so many characters you can put in a Facebook comment. So I, I want to give them you know, I'm trying to be gracious with you and, and I want to be gracious with them as well. Um, so it's, we do need to, we don't need only the old Testament and we don't need only the new Testament. If you only, I, I, I share it, share it with my congregation this way. Um, throughout scripture, scripture is progressive and, and, and God has revealed his word progressively. And it's like, um, you probably remember this back in the sixties when you were in school, Mike, is when they had um, the overhead projector <laughs> and had like the filament that goes oh, over yeah. the, the that goes over one another and it gives you a greater picture of what's going on here. So I would say that if you only go operate from the Old Testament, then you're not going to have the complete picture of of God's revelation. But if you only operate from the New Testament, it goes the same way. You're going to be incomplete. Sure. So. You need to have it all, and Scripture interprets Scripture. Um, it, so that, and we wholeheartedly agree. So everybody that might disagree with you in the comments would totally agree that Scripture does not contradict itself. God yeah. is immutable; He's unchanging. Um, but how He deals with His people might be different. So you know, common to what we, what those in the Reformed camp who are covenantal. Um, opposed to dispensational so i imagine based on your background it was probably more of a dispensational church those people hate the old testament until unless it comes to prophecy and then somehow then they get whacked out but um the uh the covenantalists would say that you know and i agree because i am one is that god's people in the old testament israel 
were um, set apart by God by their adherence to his law in observance of what he's called them to observe, like the sacrifices and, and all that. In the New Testament, that is all fulfilled in Christ, and we are now set apart by Christ, not by um, not by the law. However, we are called to obey all that Christ commands, which is the law of God. So, like, you and I might share a similar view on Sabbath, although we might disagree with the day of the week. We probably agree on all the Ten Commandments, really. Um, our biggest difference might be just uh, what day of the week we 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 take the Sabbath. So, um, I want to. It's really interesting, like, because you and I have spent hours talking about this stuff, but I actually just came up with a question I've never asked you, and and Bickford is asking, I think, a very similar question. And it, it's actually, I really like the analogy Eric just made about the different filaments. So I'm, I'm going to make a pretty plain statement that I think Eric would agree with. He'll either nod or shake, depending on his level of, of assent. And then I'm going to let you respond, because I think if my understanding of your view is correct, this is really going to highlight um, a major point of disagreement. I actually believe that we ought to interpret the Old Testament's in the light of the new, that the New Testament serves as a lens by which we properly understand the old. You seem to recommend the opposite prescription, that we ought to read, interpret, understand the New Testament in the light of the old. Is that, first of all, is that an accurate uh, description of your view? And if it is, then why? Sure, I, I think it is. Um, I, I do think it is. Um, I, I... I've learned to interpret the New Testament based on the old, right? And not vice versa. Um, the reason for that is because, you know, the old is where the commands are given. The old is where the prophecies are made. Um, and those things are indeed fulfilled in the New Testament. Most of the prophecies, some obviously not yet. Um, but yeah, don't, don't have to forgive Eric. He's engaging in inside jokes with our commenters. Uh, uh, and and before the show is over, we're going to talk about the second commandment because it's another place where he, you, and him will find agreement. But carry on with your point. We can go. We can go destroy all the Jesus Storybook Bibles. Yeah. Together. So I, I, I guess for me, how would, how would in, interpreting the old through the new change the old? I, I, I don't think it changes the old. I think that's very important That because that, I appreciate, Mike, your, your firm insistence that um, the, the, the word of God in the Old Testament stands, right? Eric and I both believe that the word of God stands forever. Um, so it's not so much an issue of the New Testament changes what the old said. I think it's more like the New Testament um, – in, in the light of the New Testament re revelation, we rightly understand what the Old Testament was teaching all along. So I think a great example of this is in Matthew, where uh, the author of Matthew quotes, and it's interesting, uh, um, I don't know how, how deep we're going to get into original languages, but the author of Matthew quotes a prophecy from uh, the book of Isaiah, uh, the virgin shall conceive, and he quotes the, the Greek Septuagint rather than the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, the word, um, I think it's Alma. I, I, I could be wrong about that. 
the word for human could mean virgin, but it doesn't have to. It, it really just is just a general term for a young woman, right? Um, in the Greek Septuagint, it's, it's the word that exclusively means virgin. And Matthew, the book of Matthew, uh, reveals to us that the prophecy about Jesus in the Old Testament, that prophecy was about Christ. Now, if all you had was your Old Testament, that prophecy would still be there. It would still be true. But I don't know that we would rightly understand it. It's actually the New Testament revelation of Christ who fulfills these Old Testament prophecies, um, who brings us to a proper understanding of what the Old Testament was saying all along. So it's not an issue of the New Testament changing the meaning. It's that we understand the meaning only because we understand who Jesus is. And it's it's his revelation. It's the revelation of the Christ. And I, by the way, real quick, uh, uh, I know Mike is not a huge fan of Jesus, so I'm going to try to use Yeshua from here on out. I know I know you would prefer that. I don't I don't take any offense. You, okay, all right. I don't. You'll have to forgive me. Uh, old habits. Uh, but that so it's not that it changes. It's that we rightly understand it. Um, would you object to that kind of reasoning? No, in fact, I, I agree with that, right? It's, it's what, and I, you actually touched on something as, as far as we, we understand who, who he is, right? Through what was prophesied and through what happened, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think as a, as a church, we have an identity crisis in, in marrying the two things of who we are as his people. Um, one of one of the things, and this is where I can get into the weeds and a bit lengthy. Um, when you look at at the Old Testament, one of the things you kind of have to become is a student of history as well, because you have to follow what what happened historically with with the nation of Israel and who they are, um, and it goes all the way back to the to the actual gospel. So, so let me ask, what, what to you is the gospel? I'll let Eric take this one. The gospel is the redemptive work of God through Christ. Okay. That's a very that, simple, like that's, that's my tweet. That's my 12, yeah. that's my, that's my 18 <laughs> characters. <laughs> that redemptive work though, is actually referencing so gospel just means good news right and we have lots of good news there's lots of quote-unquote gospels okay the original gospel or good news spoken by the father was to abraham right uh, i'd agree and, with that yeah and he said in, well, actually i would say it was spoken to adam oh um there well yeah well he he gave him you know he gave him a command, right? Well, I think Eric is. I think yeah. Eric is referring to Genesis three fifteen. The um the crush your crush your head, strike his heel. I don't know if you interpret that the same way we do. Sure. Yeah. Um, but but w one of the original gospels or good news that we trace back to is Abraham. We see him as the patriarch of our faith, right? And it was that in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay. And remember, it was 
it was credited to him as righteousness, you know, as, as the, we follow the life of Abraham, right? Because he believed. But his belief was evidenced by his action, by his obedience, right? He was given a, a command. He believed in the Father, so he acted out on that command mm -hmm. accordingly. And that's the foundation of our faith. That's that's the original gospel. And yes, the, the sacrifice of the Christ, our Messiah, you know, is the fulfillment of that blessing for all peoples and, and all the earth, right? What you have to trace and follow is the story that starts with that promise to Abraham all the way to, to modern day history. I mean, pause for a minute. I, I appreciate the picture you're painting, but I, I want to stop just to look at one little weed for a moment here. Uh, that particular uh, prophecy to Abraham of, I think it's um, through your offspring, all, all nations will be blessed. I don't know if you, I, I know we might have some slightly different, uh, some tiny disagreements about how that should be translated, but is that roughly how you would? Uh, it's it's just, well, it's Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Yes. Um, and he says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, good. Um, so let me ask you this question, talking about interpretive methodology and, and New Testament versus Old Testament. Do you believe that Genesis chapter 12, verse 3 is about the Christ? Well, it's, it's, you mean, is the Christ the blessing? No, is Christ, is Christ the seed? Uh, and the re the reason I keep bringing up the seed is because this is a, this is a, a particular instance of the New Testament um, illuminating our understanding of the old. Paul talks very specifically. Um, I think it's in Galatians, although Eric might correct me, it might be in Romans, where um, Paul makes this very particular statement about um the seed, not the seeds, and identifies the seed as Christ. So Paul in the New Testament um, makes the claim that Genesis chapter 12, verse 3 is actually about the Messiah. Um, and so I interpret Genesis chapter 12, verse 3 in the way that the New Testament does. Sure. And it's also, in, it's actually the specific one you're referring to is Genesis 22. Um, where he does say, "Oh, you're right. You're right. I'm 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 mixing up my my references. You're right. I'm sorry. Your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Right. That that caveat yeah. is always there. Um, even in the New Testament, by the way, every time you see um, where he says, "You'll love me," it's "You'll love me and you'll obey my commands." Those two things are always together. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No. No. That's that's an area where 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 you and I and Eric are going to have a lot of agreement is, uh, Eric, why don't you take a moment to speak to uh, the importance of what James would say, you know, faith without works is dead. The idea that we're saved by grace through faith, uh, but genuine faith produces fruit. Could you speak to that for a moment? Because that's an area where, again, we have a lot of agreement. Well, it's, <clears throat> I, I don't, I think you would agree based on the conversation that we've had. But our obedience to, or the fruit that comes from obeying, or let me just stick to obeying, our obedience to what Christ has commanded, um, our obedience to the commandments, 
is a, is not the cause of the blessing, but a result of the blessing. That it is it is part of the blessing, but it is we don't receive the blessing because we have done. We do because we've been blessed. Um, the cause is Christ. The cause of our blessing is Christ, and it's out of our redemption. It's out of that redemptive work that now we are able to obey. Prior to that, we were unable to obey, or if we did obey, it was out of our pure religiosity rather than our faith. Mm-hmm. You, that, you, you, you would agree. You would agree oh, with that paradigm. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, in fact, in fact, so and this this is kind of why I was going down the the rabbit trail of of identity of who we are mm-hmm. when and. and uh, when you trace the promise given to Abraham, you know, including the, the seed, right? Uh, it flowed to Isaac. Uh, it, and it flowed down to Jacob, who became Israel. He had the 12 sons, who became the 12 tribes of Israel, right? There's And there's so much richness in each of those stories with, with because then there's a brother involved, there's Ishmael, there's Esau, there's all the, the contrast, right? And it's all between... The promise and the spiritual heir versus the, you know, the, the fleshly heir. Um, but when we get to the point of the actual law, the Torah being given to the people and the actual covenant, okay? So the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, right, um, was not just given to the Jews. I think what happens when people see my ZPs, first question comes out, are you a Jew? Oh, you're good. No. Um, oh, you're going to do the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles. Are you Jewish? No. Jew, the Jews were, that's the tribe of Judah. That's who we're speaking of when we speak of the Jews. And they are only but one of the 12 tribes of Israel. <clears throat> Furthermore, at the base of Mount Sinai, you had Egyptians. There was a mixed multitude that actually left with Israel. You had the Torah was given, and it was every almost every command that was given. It was given for the children of Israel and those who sojourn with you, those who want to be part of the spiritual heritage of Israel. Right? Those commandments were given to all peoples and for all generations. Right? And so that I, and then I hearken to He never changes. What happened when you? This is where you guys start following the history of it, as well as prophecy. Every he spoke of blessings that we 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 observe would be obedient because of the blessing we've been given. There are also blessings that are attached to obedience as well. You get it on both sides. Um, in the Torah, he spells out all the blessings that come along with being obedient, right? But he also tells the consequence of being disobedient. And those consequences are that he's going to separate them as a people. And he's going to scatter them throughout the nations. That's super important because you have to follow the history of what happens to the nation of Israel. When they do settle in the land, they eventually split into the two tribes. you got the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was ten tribes. The southern kingdom was mostly just Judah. Some, some of Benjamin was in there as well. But the Levites didn't get a portion. They didn't get an inheritance. They were the priests. 
So the 10 tribes of the Northern Kingdom were um, basically invaded by Assyria, taken into captivity, followed by Judah was invaded by Babylon, and they were taken into captivity. Now yeah, we know this, 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 I just want to interject something here. This gathering is actually very important to understanding the book of Acts because it's why almost every pagan city Paul went to had a synagogue. Mm -hmm. Exactly, for sure. So, so what happened in, in historically is Judah was the only tribe to return to the land. Hence today that all we have in Israel are Jews. The 10 tribes have been completely dispersed, completely scattered. They've been so assimilated into the nations, into the Gentiles, that they really don't even have that, an identity anymore. And the prophecy in the end time, Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27, is that I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So here's, here's what's happened. The, the tablets, the law written on stone, it was had consequences then that were also written in stone, you know, which was death. So sin, remember the def the definition of sin is transgression of the law. That's the definition of sin. Pa pause for a minute here because I got I got to ask you a, a a question that I think is important to understanding your view of the law as it, it's. Let me ask you this: um, Was there sin before Mount Sinai? Mm -hmm. By what standard? By the word of God. So he gave okay. his. He always gave his word, right? He gave his word, just like you said to Adam. He gave his word to tend mm -hmm. and keep the garden, and he gave them a command to avoid a certain thing, right? Right. And they went after that thing. That was sin, right? Anytime there was a word given by God, and it was disobeyed, that was sin. It was a transgression from his commands, from his. Torah okay. Simple. When you say when. You, so when, just to be clear, when you say that sin is the transgression of God's law, you're not speaking exclusively about Torah. You're saying any word of God uh, that, that, that serves as a command. If Correct. we transgress that, we're in sin. That, that, by the way, that definition is a New Testament definition. So it, the, New Testament defines, the New Testament defines sin as transgression of the law. Okay, yeah, yes, in Romans, yep. I'm with you. So... What he's what he's saying is that, and, and he says this all over the place in Jeremiah. He says, "Look, your your feasts, your your fasting, all these your songs, all this. I don't want it because your hearts are from far from me." He's always wanted our hearts, right? And and how does he know we have our hearts? How do we love God by obeying His commands? That's how we show our love to God. Okay, and good, he wanted good. You, you, hearts, not something written in stone. Now you come you've come to an important point here that that I think we should spend a little time on and then I want to I want to jump to another topic that it's that I would really like to discuss while we have you here. Um you've laid out this this um story this biblical story of God's people 
the the story and, and the larger story of the redemption not only of the particular uh biological descendants of abraham but of all the world through this um you've laid out that story you just made a statement that i think we need to uh hash out a little bit eric and i agree with you that the evidence of love for god is obedience to him i think that's a clear new testament um a, cl a clear new testament command the question is what does that look like um and i'm trying to think hey let's do this let's do this i'm going to change the subject for a minute and while i do that people who are in the comment section if you have any particular questions you want to ask mike fire away because i think i think mike if we had more time the direction that you're going would be would be interesting but we're we're pulling in so much now. I'm afraid we're going to run out of runway to be able to to talk about it all. Let me go. Let me go to a different. A different if, I, if I can maybe bring it full circle, though. Okay. Uh, in, in that, in that, our identity is we are we are Israel. We are a, the spiritual Israel because the original northern tribes. Look, it was it was this genius design, right? Like he. In Jeremiah, he literally writes the Northern Kingdom a certificate of divorce. He says, I'm, I'm done with you because you've disobeyed me. You've become the harlot, right? Um, and so Jesus himself says, I've come for the lost sheep of Israel. That, that's very specific about these other kingdoms that have now been just obliterated and lost. And what he's did is made us a way back to the father the new covenant is not necessarily a new covenant the greek word for that actually can be translated as renewed he's made a renewed covenant he's allowed us to have and there's tons of pictures of being the bride right and and it's all this renewed covenant in other words where we were once a divorced and defiled bride we can now come back into covenant with the father the original covenant that he's from the very beginning that we lost because of our disobedience the difference now is that because of christ we are not under the law of the penalty of sin and death that is, that is what we defeated right upon his death and resurrection meaning i'm not going to be able to adhere to his law perfectly i'm human i'm imperfect i cannot do these things right but i can now identify with those that he made the covenant with come back into the covenant because I'm no longer under that penalty now. Now that, but, but that don't, but I have to enter into that covenant and be obedient to it again. Right. So nothing has changed. Yeah. Yeah. So the first half, I think Eric and I would be right in line with the second half is obviously where we disagree. I want to come back in a moment to a remark you made about a particular word. I think it was a uh, new meaning renewed. I want to come to that in a moment. First, we cannot finish this discussion today without talking about the second commandment because my good friend, Eric Reynolds, uh, is a, a unique, he, he, he's unique amongst many of his peers and that he insists that any, actually I'll, I'll let him say it for himself. Eric, why don't you tell us, uh, what all you think is forbidden by the second commandment? Uh, pictures portraying Jesus. And, and and God in general. So first, Eric, I want to show you. I found, and it's not all that unique. It's actually the it is the confessional reformed 
uh, position. Oh, it certainly was not unique in the Protestant church 400 or 500 years ago. Today, it's become it's kind of fallen out of fashion. We've gone the right. we've gone the exact opposite. We have we have we have bastardized. Uh, we have blasphemed God. First, Eric, I want to show you. I think I found a pictorial Bible that even you can get behind. Okay. <laughs> look at look at that illustration. It is so nondescript. I mean, can you really find fault with some curvy lines that might represent Jesus? I uh, hey, listen. Let me let me first amend it because some people made some jokes uh, uh, above. Um, I I there are certain things in which I guess it can be helpful, but we need to be incredibly careful because. I don't know. I feel incredibly uncomfortable. I, I can see different people's perspectives on the second um, commandment, but uh, as I read it, I'm just entirely uncomfortable with pictorial, you know, depictions of Jesus. Mike, how, how do you feel about stained glass uh, representations of the Christ? Do you think they're violations of the second commandment? Look, I, I think what's important is that we can debate a lot of individual applications of, of the commandments, right? Um, what are the consequences of that? Is if my church were to have that stained glass window with those things, is, is there now suddenly, is, is there a condemnation for, for those that, that relish that, that mm -hmm. like that, that, uh, I mean, I guess what's what's the what what would be the consequence of of whichever side of this? Well, in, improper improperly worshiping the Lord. I mean, you're worshiping God in a man made means that has not been prescribed by Him. So God tells us how He wants to be worshipped. He wants a, He wants to be worshipped um, in song. So what about people who portray Him in movies, film, Easter dramas? Um, I'm okay with stoning them. Um, so, so, so I continue to tell Eric that there is a difference between making uh, uh, an image and worshiping it, but may, maybe at some point I'll come around to his view. I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this though in Eric's favor. It leads our heart hearts astray. It does. So, so I'll say this in Eric's favor. One of the things I appreciate about Eric is that he takes everything the Bible says very seriously. And I think sometimes in loosey-goosey, uh, you just need Jesus Protestant circles, uh, we can sort of just sort of disregard the bits of the Bible that are inconvenient. So I appreciate his conviction in that way. By Mike, the way, I, wanna, Glenn, I, I am to... kidding. I, I do want to – I know Glenn knows this because he, he watches the show almost every week, um, but other people might not. I'm not advocating stoning people who portrayed Jesus in a film, in a movie, um, or in an Easter drama. I do think, um, you know, I'm uncomfortable with those things in which Jesus is portrayed. Um, but I don't, I understand it, right? So I'm not going to throw stones at people. I'm not going to, I'm not going to call them heretics. I'm not even going to go so far as to say that it's sinful. But I, I do know this. It's kind of like the porn, you know, what's pornography back at, that was the question back in the nineties. You know it when you see it, that was the, mm -hmm. that was the thing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I know for sure. If you are, if you are posting a picture of Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi and think that that's Jesus, there's a problem there. 
right? Like that to me is, is very different. Uh, I want I want to dig down on one more thing, Mike, and I think probably what we'll do is. Uh, we'll... And, and your wife just commented, "The Chosen is a great series. We love that series." Ooh, Bickford, I... Bickford, big hater of of Chosen. So that, that has that has been that has been a subject of some debate on this show because I'm a big fan of it. Uh, Eric and some of his I've not his seen it. I've not, not I've not seen it because I don't yeah, want don't to have, go don't in. Have, yeah. I don't want to go into the realm of 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 idolatry, man. Now you guys have these burnt images in your minds of what Jesus would have looked like, and it's incorrect. So now every time you worship Jesus, you have this image in your mind. In that image, who is the actor, receives he is the object of your worship rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, so yeah. I'm holier than thou, and therefore <laughs> I know that when I worship Jesus, yeah. it is true and unadulterated worship. But for you guys, it is mixed, and it will surely bring you condemnation before the Lord. For sure. Right. Well, this this particular midrash, right? Is, is this this discussion over a certain commandment, right? I think is is needs to be shelved or secondary because we still haven't settled on are any of the commandments relevant and if so which not ones if, and why not if you're Andy stanley <laughs> <laughs> I, I think i think no one in this particular discussion that takes the andy stanley position uh mm -hmm. the blonde-haired blue-eyed jesus hanging in all of our churches is better <laughs> mm -hmm. uh Oh gosh, now the comments are going off here. I'm pretty sure Eric has a beard because he thinks it's similar to Jesus' beard. Is that wrong? Yes. In fact, any man who grows a beard uh, is in sin and violation of the second commandment for attempting to look like Jesus. Uh, and Eric, I call you to repentance. So here's my here's here's a bigger question. Lindsay, is she is she joking or is she? I don't know if she's joking or serious. Yes. Um, yes. She's so joking. so Lindsay, tear down those pictures or depictions of jesus okay this is more important than the berlin wall tear down those images and burn them i can i can tell that eric is truly out of the reformed tradition because he's an iconoclast and i appreciate that about him uh, <laughs> by the way we have one in my church i just avoid that room so i you can... know I, i'm not I, I joke i talk a big game here in public but in private i'm far more gracious um I, I got. I want to respond to uh, Nathan Nathaniel. Yeah, um, he so goes he, by he he goes by uh, Nate Dog. Yeah, big. So actually, this is this is great. Bickford's going the direction I wanted to go, so I'll just let you respond to him. Um, such a great scripture that he quoted when he talks about the the new co uh, covenant, right? And and doing a word study and seeing that. So in in the in the New Testament, it can be translated as renewed. Um, but in Jeremiah, uh, he's saying it's it's new, and and that maybe let's let's take a look. When it comes in, make new. Well, while you're looking, Mike, I just I, I want I want to make a remark, and then I'm gonna let you I'm gonna let you respond to him. But there there's an important point I think to be made here about original languages, and I don't I do not say this as an expert, but I've done enough study to have learned something. When it comes to understanding um, words in another language. The, it is not sufficient to um, look up the possible meanings or the literal translation. So much of meaning actually comes from the context in which the words are written. Um, so I still want to let you respond to Bickford, but I think that is an important point to make that as I'm just now starting to learn biblical Greek, and one of the things that I'm learning, and Bickford's actually uh, part of this class, he is very patient with 
with me uh, as I'm one of the slowest students, and he's by far one of the most advanced ones. What does that say about all the other people that were in your high school class that didn't get valedictorian? <laughs> uh, staying on topic. Did you know that, Mike, that Luke was a uh, valedictorian in high school? Did not. Yeah, I bet you, I bet you don't feel as smart as you did before that. I'm impressed with him now as I was five minutes ago. <laughs> Mike responds the correct way to this information. Eric, ever since finding out, has brought it up as a, at every possible moment. Let me let you respond to Victor's remark. Sure. So Jeremiah 31, 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. New covenant. With who? The house of Israel and the house of Judah. So that that right there it's important to remember now we are we should be wanting to identify with the house of israel the spiritual house of israel the heirs right so this is the new covenant and i also do believe that this is in reference then to what we see in the new testament right and it's not according to the covenant that i made with their fathers in the day that i took them by hand to lead them out of uh egypt my covenant which they broke though i was a husband to them and this speaks into, um, I believe it's Romans 7, where he does go through the whole marriage thing. But anyways, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So what does that mean to have the law written in our minds and in our hearts? Well, again, I hearken back to the Ezekiel um, promise that he will take away our hearts of stone, give us hearts of flesh. The whole point of that is that the law is no longer, it's no longer in stone in, in, in the sense that the consequence of, of, of failing it, right, mm -hmm. is also in stone. So look, look at the paradigm prior to Messiah, prior to Jesus. The penalty of sin, of transgressing God's word, ultimately was death. Mm -hmm. And that's because it was written in stone. And God's not going to break his own word. He's not going to break his own law. Okay? He took that away. He took that away. The, the, the act of the death and resurrection of our Messiah... <clears throat> Paid that penalty. It took that away. We are no longer under the penalty of the law of sin and death. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? That means we are now, he took that law by his spirit, given at Pentecost. It's been written on our minds and on our hearts. In other words, just like Eric said earlier, because of the blessing I've been given, the outflow of that from my, from me, my response is now that his law is on my heart. I now have the desire to do his law, even though I can't be convicted of it. Mm -hmm. No, no, it is. It's this. It's this idea. It's this idea that through the Holy Spirit, God doesn't doesn't just change what we do; He changes what we want to do. So this is another area where I think we're in agreement. Um, I think probably the best way to try to start to bring things to a close, though, Mike, because I do to your point that you made a few minutes ago. I think we have slowly started to lose the thread of the conversation. Um, here's how I, I think there's one more exercise I want to try to engage in before we start coming to a close today. I'd like to try to turn the tables a little bit and let you ask us a couple of questions and, and maybe, maybe none come to mind, but I think in, in trying to, to 
lead the conversation by asking you particular questions. In some ways, we've sort of lost the thread. Maybe a way that we can bring it back before we close out the show would be to reverse uh, reverse things and let you uh, um, put our feet to the fire a little bit. So, if you were the one interviewing and we were the guests on this subject, what were some of the, well, what are some of the things that you might want to ask us? Um, I I one of the things that first stressed me out when I was exploring this this particular way to walk the faith out um, was and, and that led me to it actually was trying to properly interpret Matthew 7 21 through 23 mm -hmm. which is not everyone who says to me Lord Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my father in heaven many will say to me in that day Lord Lord have we not prophesied in your name cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name and i'll declare to them i never knew you depart from me you who practice lawlessness how, how would you respond to to that I think Eric and I certainly believe that to be true. This is where I think we're, and we may just need to put a footnote in this and come back to it another day. This is where I think we're starting to struggle in this in this conversation. And this happens a lot. Um, this is something I think Eric and I are learning a lot about when it comes to these kinds of conversations. Is um, we end up we end up like ships passing in the night, where you're referencing a lot of the same passages that that you're, you're referencing passages that Eric and I affirm the problem is there are underlying assumptions that we both bring to the text that are different so i believe uh that what matthew 7 21 through 23 says is true the issue is that uh before i even before we even got to the text there was already an underlying assumption and one of the things that i'm sort of mulling over we tend to be we tend to speak pretty openly with our guests or, or with uh with our audience mike one of the things i'm mulling over is did we uh, to, to your point that you made toward the beginning of the conversation and getting lost in the weeds, did we actually miss the central point of the argument? Cause I'm feeling again, as you're asking this question, um, that the answer that we give is not actually going to address the primary point of disagreement. So here's what I think I'm going to do. Cause I'll be honest with you and Eric and the audience. Um, I think I've somehow managed over the course of the last hour or so to, to lose the thread Maybe, uh, maybe I'm going to pass things off to Eric and let him decide how he might want to uh, close out the show. Because I think any discussion we might want to try to pursue from here, Mike, is going to take too long. We don't have the time to try to flesh it all out. Eric, why don't you go ahead and, and uh, uh, take the lead and find a way to sort of wrap things up here. And uh, we'll make sure that we close on a light note because we like to get kind of funny and fluffy before the show ends. So that's Luke's way of saying you've stumped him. He doesn't have any answers for you. No. no, no. <laughs> yeah. I was saying the answer is going to take more than thirty minutes so, to fully so, flesh out. Yeah. So hey, I'll just I'll just answer it real quick. So I'm not afraid like Luke. Um, and you know, you would think someone with such a a um, you know, a background in education in which he has achieved so much in his short time on Earth. Um, that's only a fraction of how long you've been on Earth, Mike. Um, <laughs> um, so I'll try and answer for him. Um, how do we understand that? Well, pretty simply, um, and Glenn kind of hits on it, but a lot of people think they're following Jesus because they're culturally following Jesus. 
Um, a lot of people think they're following Jesus because, hey, look, I made some sort of prophecy or I healed someone or something like that. But there are false prophets. There are false healers. There are magicians and people who will make you think something when it is not true. So even those who think or, or convince themselves in their own minds because, well, I was born in North Carolina, therefore I'm a Christian. Um, I go to church on uh, Christmas and celebrate Christmas by buying everybody more gifts than I can afford. I therefore am a Christian, right? I think that's the type of, I think there's more to it, but that's the train of thought there. But yes, we are to be doers of the word and carry out the law and live in the righteousness that is found in Christ because he's given it to us. And now we are able to be joyfully obedient. So what does that look like? That's a, that's a totally valid question. Um, so what does that practically look like? Well, um, here, here's an example. If Jesus said, brothers, do not eat bacon. I go, all right. Let's totally not eat bacon. I'm okay with that. Okay, um, but is Jesus the word of God? Yes. Does the word of God say do not eat pork? Yes. So but then, it also says, but you have to look at it within the covenant, right? So why? So exactly. so within context, right? So that is a, something given to Israel that that we already talked about that. So how does it work like in the New Testament? righteousness what what does obedience look like it means um living selflessly right so living for your brothers showing deference towards your brothers and sisters in christ right so there's love uh, we're preaching through first john um first through third john in, in my church right so we're we're very much in the whole love one another love your brother um mantra right now and, and learning what that looks like so it, it means like the animosity that two people within the same church might have obedience looks like setting that animosity aside working through that and coming together and having forgiveness and, and that type of thing sure. um, I would say so that those things by themselves though would not make one holy or set apart right because we can have completely atheistic people that are yeah. loving people and it can right. it's christ it's god, christ right? who makes them holy so it's christ who makes them holy but you can say the same thing about not eating pork Right. So not eating pork doesn't make you holy. What makes you holy is being washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. But to walk in that holiness, right, at least from your perspective, would be, well, I'm not going to eat pork. Well, well, great. That's fine. Um, but what I'm what from my theological perspective as a covenantalist, as a reformed guy, is we look at the old covenant and the new covenant in the way that the way that Israel was was clean or set apart from the world was the were, were those um ethical laws were the ceremonial laws were were um all that stuff that we don't typically observe today um and that's a very different approach than say the dispensationalist or um the marcionites the, the andy standards i gotta cut in here i i think i think we may have to bring this to a close for today because while i disagree completely with Mike's interpretation of Matthew 7, 21 through 23. I also totally disagree with Eric and Glenn's. So I, it's very difficult to know how to even move forward, given well, the I, fact that we've, we've now raised a passage about which all three of us uh, clearly have different interpretation. I, let, let's, let's do this. I think, I think I have a good way for us to close things out. 
Um, Mike, I want to give you uh, maybe the last word before we let you go. And I think Eric and I are going to stay on for just a few minutes just to wrap things up. Um, sure. uh, let me let me give you uh, the last word. And, and here's what I'd like you to do. Uh, I'd like you to sort of summarize as best you can for our audience. Um, and of course, hopefully this conversation helped to clarify that to some degree. Um, where you agree with us and where you disagree and why it matters. And then we'll let you go. Great. Um, I agree with everything up to the moment of salvation. Like it's free, it's grace, it's it's all that, right? From that point, um, and like in response to Glenn, it's ritualistic versus heartfelt salvation. No, it's just the opposite. I've been trying to make the case apparently poorly that it is out of the heart then that like, oh my gosh, the salvation that I've been given, I now want to respond to in obedience, right? And then so that's then where I depart is from, so now how am I going to walk out that obedience? And I do it according to, you know, Ephesians 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, right? Well, what did he prepare beforehand? He gave us his word, right? So there's that. Um, I, I really think it's just the response, and it is a heart response um, post-salvation, right? And I think the, most of Paul's arguments, even the Council of Jerusalem, all that stuff is about where do we place the Torah in relation to salvation required for salvation, or is it a proper response of salvation, which is where I think Paul was in, in all, you know, that's where the, that's where we interpret what he's trying to tell us. And that's, mm -hmm. that's where we walk out. That's really the only difference. Mm -hmm. um, and I've said this to you before, if you don't see that, then I'm not, I'm not here to say you guys are doing your faith wrong. Mm -hmm. It's not my place to make that call. I, the scriptures have been opened up in my mind, in my heart, that I need, I need to be obedient to his Torah. So out of my heart's response, I'm going to do that. If that's not on your heart, I'm not going to condemn you for that because it's not my place. It's, there's a, I don't, I don't have that level of understanding to say, you guys have it, you know, your response is wrong. Mm -hmm. I don't have, I, I can't sit in that judgment seat. I won't. Um, yeah. Let me say let me say a word of affirmation before we let you go, Mike. One of the things I appreciate about you and one of the reasons that I wanted you on the show is because of um, your conviction that what, the way that the way that you have chosen to live is not easy. Um, and the fact that you desire to obey God more than you desire to be comfortable, uh, I, I think it is um, tremendous. Will you give a quick shout out to Hezekiah before we let you go? Hezekiah, what's happening, buddy? Mike, we know you're a busy guy. Lots of kids. You got a business to run. We appreciate your time today. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, for sure. All right, gentlemen. Thanks, man. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna give my initial thought, and then I'll let Eric close us out with his. I have no regrets about bringing Mike onto the show, but I think I learned. You're just another... a terrible moderator. <laughs> and you're bad at carrying the conversation on. No, no, no. I I I think I did fail today, but I wanna I wanna say specifically how i think i failed today i think i learned and, and look uh to our audience we're still learning how to do this well i'm still learning how to do this well 
I think I learned another important lesson, and I've said this before in the show, about the importance of narrowing the field of discussion. Uh, we ended up in so many different places, I feel like we didn't really get to, uh, uh, in a thorough manner, talk about much of anything. And so the lesson for me is in the future when we have someone on with whom there is significant disagreement, I think we need to narrow the field so that we can hone in on a couple of the the trees. We spent so much time today talking about the forest. I don't know that we that we ended up um, uh, getting any, anywhere very far. And I don't blame Mike for that. I think in the future when we have a guest on where there's that that big gap of disagreement, it'll be important as moderator to narrow the field. So to our audience, um, it's a good lesson for me. And in the future, I'll I'll work hard to be a little better about that. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think the conversation just wasn't framed very well for us. Um, I agree, but I, you know, I appreciate Mike's knowledge. I appreciate his heart. I appreciate uh, just everything about him and that we talked about. Um, so, and it just and the more we talked, the more it seemed like we have a lot of agreement. It's just <laughs> how you know, in men. I can't believe it took us an hour and a half to get to the point where Nathaniel asked, so is this a, a an item of which individual Christians um, should be bound by their conscience mm-hmm. to this or not? Is there freedom? Um, yeah. And it seemed like um, at the end, Mike was like, no, there's freedom in this. This is mm-hmm. how this is how I think it's best or, or um, <clears throat> to live out the Christian life. And I totally respect that and appreciate it. Um, so I think mm-hmm. when we didn't, when we don't define that in the beginning, then the rest of the conversations, like it just isn't framed very well, but yeah. I thought it was yeah. really good. So, Hey, um, before we close up, I do want to share this, um, with, uh, with our viewers. Um, I don't tip, we don't typically pump, uh, things like charities or anything like that, but Hey, there's been some great information out there about Penny Crusade, our missions arm in our denomination, um, they've caught back up, at least from what I saw last week, they caught back up, um, to where they needed to be at this time last year or this year, comparatively to last year, um, for raising funds for missionaries in missions. Mm-hmm. So great job. Continue to give, you can go to, um, acgc.us and you can, um, click on some links and, and give there. Also, I'm going to put a link down, down below. If some of you would be so generous and kind, I'm, I'm actually about to give, uh, to this, but, um, a, a good friend of mine who is a disabled veteran. Um, he is a former Marine got into a horrific motorcycle accident last week, lost his leg, um, lost his leg. And, uh, he's like in his mid to late twenties. So right around the same age as Mike. And, um, he, <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I can't, there are things I just can't let go of. I don't, I don't um, so, so he lost, he lost his leg. Um, my hockey team that's full of disabled vets, we're trying to help him out as best we can, but there's a GoFundMe out there. Um, if you'd be willing just to throw in five bucks, 10 bucks, a dollar, whatever it might be. Um, I don't know that he's a Christian or not, but seeing support from people of all walks of life, I think speaks to um, our love for one another. You can at least know he's a good friend of mine <laughs> and um and I've had plenty of opportunities to to love him and care for him and plan to as his life has changed for the future. So I'm actually going to post that link right now to a GoFundMe. Um, you can help him out. Don't judge me. I haven't given yet because I tried and I couldn't figure it out. 
So um, it was on my phone. That's why it's not because it's complicated. So anyway, um, God bless you guys. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's it. I think, I think that's it, man. By the way, go subscribe on Patreon. Go become a Bible Banteronian or Bible Bant, Bible Banter, right? Bible, what do you call it? Luke? Uh, Join the Banter Club. The BBs. The BBs. Join the BBs, and uh, you can get the exclusive content that everybody enjoys, which is Luke and I going off about um, Supreme Court nominees. Yeah. Yes. Uh, if you want to hear a particularly obnoxious political rant from yours truly, you need to hear the bonus episode from today. Yeah, you need to hear how Luke has come full circle. He is now a Marxist communist who um, hates America and wants to interpret everything with feelings rather than facts. He <laughs> says facts do care about your feelings, and we need to change those facts. because of no, 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 no. What I said was facts do care about your feelings, and they change in accordance with them. You don't have to yes. change them. They'll do it themselves. Yes. So um, – Yep, that's Luke. We call him Lefty Luke now. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to let you guys go so Eric and I can talk a little bit, but we'll see you next week.